the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. Wednesday, December 1st, 2022. Yesterday, we spoke a bunch about how children learn and the corruption of them and that learning. At once continuing to do something almost logically or seemingly logically impossible, which tells you a little bit about the additional danger of it all. On the one hand, arresting their development and maturation while simultaneously accelerating their adulthood and removing their childhood with the other hand. It all results in both arrested development and additional anxieties, along with other mental health issues, and leads to what doctors Heather Hang and Brett Weinstein labeled the phenomenon of children in adult bodies. Today, I'd like to talk about adults and the ruination of adulthood, in some ways the natural product and outcome of the destruction of childhood. I read a story today over at NBC. It looks like the Today Show did a uh, feature on it as well. There are two things keeping the toy industry afloat right now. Inflation and a consumer group known as Kidults. Kidults, neologism for our time. These kids at heart are responsible for one-fourth of all toy sales annually, around $9 billion worth, and are the biggest driver of growth throughout the toy industry. Kidults, who tend to spend more on toys, have a great fondness for cartoons, superheroes, and collectibles that remind them of their childhood. They, they buy merchandise such as action figures, Lego sets, and dolls that might typically be considered for children. However, in recent years, toy makers have noticed this and have created product lines just for these consumers, realizing that demand is high for this generation of adults who still want to have childhood fun. Quote, the definition of adulthood has definitely evolved, said Jeremy Potawer, chief brand officer at a major toy company. Quote, what it used to mean to be an adult was to be a very upstanding, serious member of society and to do what you had to to do to demonstrate it intellectually, emotionally and in every other single way. Now, he says, we feel a lot more free to express our fandom as part of our adulthood, close quote. I found this interesting from a professor at University of Nevada, Las Vegas, one um, Dr. Simon Gottschalk. He, he wrote, if you regularly watch TV, you've probably seen a cartoon bear pitching you toilet paper, a gecko with a British accent selling you auto insurance, and a bunny in sun sunglasses promoting batteries. This has always struck me as a bit odd. Sure, it makes sense to use cartoon characters to sell products to kids, a phenomenon that's been well documented. But why are advertisers using the same techniques on adults? To me, him, it's just one symptom of a broader trend of infantilization in Western culture. 
It began before the advent of smartphones and social media, but as he argues, or as I argue in my book, he's, he's writing this, titled The Terminal Self, our everyday interactions with these computer technologies have accelerated and normalized our culture's infantile tendencies. Dictionaries define infantilizing as treating someone as a child or in a way that denies their maturity in age or experience. What's considered age-appropriate or mature is obviously quite relative, but most societies and cultures will deem behaviors appropriate for some stages of life, yet not others. We know from 1 Corinthians 13, 11, for example, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Some psychologists will be quick to note that not everyone puts puts their childish ways behind them. You can become fixated at a particular stage of development and fail to reach an age-appropriate level of maturity. When facing unmanageable stress or trauma, you can even, even regress to a previous stage of development. And psychologist Abraham Maslow, of course, has suggested that spontaneous childlike behaviors in adults aren't necessarily or inherently problematic, but some cultural practices today routinely infantilize large swaths of the population. We see it in our everyday speech. Think about referring to grown women as girls or how we treat senior citizens when we place them in adult care centers where they're forced to surrender their autonomy and privacy. And in the way school personnel and parents treat teenagers, refusing to acknowledge their intelligence and need for autonomy, restricting their freedom, limiting their ability to enter the workforce. And now look at the 25% growth and buying sector, purchasing, consumer sector of kidults, kids who are literally adults. Can entire societies succumb to infantilization? Scholars such as Herbert Marcuse and Eric Froome and other critical theorists have suggested that societies like individuals can suffer from arrested development. In their view, adults' failure to reach emotional, social, or cognitive maturity is not due to individual shortcomings. Rather, it is socially engineered. While we might find it trivial or amusing, the infantilist ethos becomes especially seductive in times of social crisis and fear. And its favoring of simple, easy, and fast betrays natural affinities for certain political solutions over others, and typically not intelligent ones. Go back and watch some videos of how adults handled 2020 in public as well as in private from your own stories throughout the COVID experience for a lot of evidence here. On a related an ongoing front, I've often talked about the work of Nick Eberstadt and some of what he's recently concluded. So we talk about or think about the economy. A lot of us celebrate the low unemployment rate. But recall that rate only counts those who are actively looking for work. If all of the working age men, let's say roughly ages 25 to 54, who have dropped out of the labor force entirely are included in this calculus, rates of non-working men swell the unemployment rate to depression-era levels. 14% of prime age men opt not to work 
or look for work? What are they doing? In their 20s and in their 30s and in their 40s. They're not looking for work. They're living off government doles, welfare. And instead of spending their time in front of screens dedicated to crunching numbers or analyzing that which their their jobs require of them, they are playing games. That's the screen time screen time they're spending and gobbling a lot of opioids. Half of all these men are addicted to painkillers. Meanwhile, the greatest threat to life of this age cohort is not, in fact, COVID. It is precisely that which they seem to be addicted to. Drug overdose. Pardon the phraseology. But good work that this welfare state and this diminishment of the work ethic and what we've done in our schools has produced here. We've ruined not only the work ethic, but the notions and concepts of both childhood and adulthood. For more evidence, see what just remember what those teachers in Florida were Instagramming after they were told they could no longer be sharing their sexual lives with their kindergarten students. The cycle keeps reinforcing itself. And it dawned on me after the show yesterday, when we were thinking about all the challenges to childhood and that seemingly inconsistent thing we're doing to children by giving them age-inappropriate material and erasing their childhood on the one hand, and yet infantilizing and over-infantilizing and protecting them on the other, what it has resulted in with this phrase I didn't know about until just this morning when I was thinking about the effect on adulthood and infantilization and this notion of kidults. What an odd, odd thing. It goes back to this thesis I've been playing with about how odd it is that with all the progression and advancement we have technologically and all the access we have to wisdom, knowledge, intelligence, and education in our very palms, how we're regressing on so many fronts. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960, Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. At the start of this year, you could invest in almost anything and make money. The stock market was growing, real estate was high, cryptocurrency was all the rage, and wow, what a difference a year makes. 2023 is going to be a year of economic upheaval, according to many economists, and the Biden presidency is pressing ahead with its leftist agenda, ignoring the growing signs of recession and inflation. But many financial experts are warning of layoffs and Huge stock market volatility, if not losses, which is why I recommend calling veteran-owned Midas Gold Group to safeguard your investments, money, wealth, with the stability of gold while you can. Gold holds its value when economies fail, guarding against the ravages of inflation and the ruin of a recession. Talk with the good folks at Midas Gold Group by checking them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Or better yet, call them at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000.
Great group. Um, I was paying a little bit of attention, more than a little bit, of not only the omnibus spending bill debate and um, the money that our elected representatives, some of our elected representatives, want to spend on Ukraine and Vladimir Zelensky's visit here to the United States, speech to the joint session of Congress, press conference with President Biden. And in that omnibus spending bill, just put a couple of these things together here, the bar, the forbidding of money to be used to secure the border here in the United States, while we're interested in protecting, obviously, the integrity of other countries. It seems to me, and I say this with caution because... So much of what this White House does seems to me counterintuitive to political wisdom, but somehow enough Americans seem to buy into it and support it. Seems to me Vladimir Zelensky is not the right person at the right time to be coming to the United States and being paraded all around Washington, D.C. with a joint session of Congress speech and a joint White House press conference with the President of the United States. You can be supportive, as I am, of uh, Ukraine's integrity and uh, the defense of Ukraine. But it seems that we're at this point, especially with the budget debate and especially with some of Mr. Zelensky's other excesses and struts abroad up until now, he's... Not the best poster boy for defending the Ukraine with United States materiel and money right now. You know, we have at various times brought in foreign leaders to give these joint joint session speeches and White House presidential press briefings. You think of maybe Tony Blair, other British leaders, you think of couple of prime ministers from Iraq after the liberation, 2004, 5, 6, around there. And timing probably then was right and good. And it just seems to me the timing is off and bad right now. It just seems to me, especially as we're going through these budgetary debates and especially as we're seeing an increasing attempt from this White House to dismantle Title 42 protections of our sovereignty and territory at the border, especially as we're seeing the flow of immigrants, illegal immigrants into the border, especially as we're seeing a lot more violent crime and a lot more drug use and a lot more drugs flowing across the border. And especially as a lot of families this time of year are kind of struggling on their own to make their own ends meet, both given the economy, the inflation, the looming recession, the nervousness, the layoffs, and that sort of thing. It almost seems tone deaf. And yet so much of what this White House has done, I would say, seems tone deaf. But they keep getting rewarded. They keep, at least the Democratic Party keeps getting rewarded. Republicans didn't do as well as we thought they should or would 
last month, November 8th. And, and unlike 2016, where a few people did actually predict that Donald Trump would win and a lot of the professional class was amazed and slack-jawed when he did, in 2020, almost everyone, almost everyone predicted Republicans would do better than they did. I don't think there were any holdouts or standouts. If you know of any, let me know. It was a universal surprise. It was a total surprise. We thought the Democrats were so ham-handed and the policies so bad. That's why I kind of put an asterisk around saying it seems a little tone-deaf for the White House to be doing this right now. Because it almost seems like we're just going and going and going here. Mentioned the Energizer Bunny in my monologue, previous segment. Seems like we're just going and going and going here with very, very, very little accountability with this White House. Joe Biden is not becoming more sentient. He is not becoming more articulate. He is not becoming more apt and apt and with it. Vice President Kamala Harris is not making any more sense. Cabinet members are not distinguishing themselves in any sense on any policy front or on any political front for that matter. And, and, and we're seeing indicator after indicator of failure, whether it has to do with foreign policy, whether it has to do with failed foreign policy objectives. Joe Biden just now announcing something that I wish he didn't have to announce because I wish he didn't engage it in the first place, which was taking the Iran nuclear deal off the table. I mean, that I, it never should have been on the table, but this was a major public policy initiative and foreign policy initiative as his. He's now yanking it. That's a failure by its own definition, at least in a closed circuit notion of what the Democratic Party and Joe Biden was pushing for. They failed their own standard on that one. They themselves had to pull it back. China becoming increasingly operative in that touchy region known as the Middle East, particularly with countries we considered ourselves to be allies with, and, of course, the inflation recession nexus that's taking place, along with, my God, baby baby formula supply shortages that have not set themselves straight, and now, now pediatric painkiller shortages and restrictions on how much babies, children's Tylenol and Advil and other Medications you can buy over the counter. Military recruitment, did I mention that? Tell me something that's gone right. Tell me something that's going well. I joked yesterday, sort of, with someone about, you know, when are things going to cease sucking around here? Am I alone in thinking that they are? I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com 
is his website. He has a radio show here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. John, how are you? I'm well. Thank you, Seth. How you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, a story we were going to maybe think about yesterday, but I'm glad we actually put it off to today yeah. uh, because we got some news on it. Uh, latest reporting comes in that home sales dropped uh, 7.7% last month. Mm-hmm. And you thought that that would have an interesting tie, if I'm not mistaken, to another story uh, that just came out about rents now rising at their slowest pace in almost 20 months, right? right. Correct. But the rents, obviously, the, if they're slowing, that's good. Yeah. But they're still high, as yeah. we know. Yeah. And it's still a challenge. But at least it's a sign that we might be getting a little bit of an ease in that, which is good. John, um, talk to me about what it tells you when you see home sales dropping. What does that tell you about the economy? What does it tell you about the stock market? What does it tell you about mortgages? What does it tell you about uh, the Fed? Well, obviously, uh, we would expect home sales to to fall based on what interest rates have been doing. uh, We have to go back to just a common denominator, which is uh, what can people qualify for, right? Interest rates are going to be the key to this. If if uh, I ha- I can afford, I go to a, a lender and here's my income and here's my expenses, and they say, well, you can afford a payment of, you know, two thousand dollars a month towards a towards a home mortgage. If the uh, cost of uh, money now has doubled, as we know, more than doubled over the past year. Well, that uh, loan that I might have been able to qualify for of one hundred dollars or $250,000 now uh, is costing me twice as much in interest. I'm not going to be able to qualify for that anymore. But yet the home values have increased. So you, you've got this uh, you know, challenge that home values are higher than they were last year. You've got interest rates that are higher than they were last year. Income levels haven't increased as much as the inflation from interest rates. And people are just not able to qualify for homes. And so that's why we're seeing the uh, the home sales uh, going down. They're not going to be increasing for quite some time at this point. We got a little bit of an alleviation in um, – uh, in the interest rates, mortgage rates dropped, and we saw a little spike in refinancing. But generally speaking, that's still not going to overall be enough for the market to, uh, you know, continue the home sales to uh, go on the upside. They're going to be probably falling for another couple of months, I would imagine. Now, John, uh, something directly in the wheelhouse of what you guys in uh, Grand Canyon uh, planning are such experts at. I was uh, on a tear kind of criticizing a lot of what's going on in Washington, D.C. in Congress. But it does seem to me there might be some good that they're doing. Um, I'm reading that um, they're on the verge of passing a bill that will help Americans save more for retirement and leave their retirement savings untouched and untaxed for longer. This is something we've talked about in the past. It looks like it might be coming to fruition. Yeah, uh, there has been, um, obviously, talk about this for quite some time now. Uh, Recently, when I say recently, in the past couple of years, uh, retirement accounts, uh, you had to pull money, begin pulling money out of your retirement account no later than the age of 70 and a half. That was increased to the age of 72 not too long ago. Right. Uh, that other additional uh, legislation was, is it possible that we can increase that even to 75? Right. Uh, and that, if this does pass, if that is going to be the new age limit for distributions, I think it's a great thing, yeah, Seth. I, yeah. I, I think it just allows people to um, take advantage of that tax-deferred benefit that a retirement account offers. And it may also uh, give people the idea that, hey, you know what, maybe I'll work a little bit longer. Yeah. 
than what I was going to work, uh, you know, before. And Why? Because I, can, I don't have to too, take right? money out of my retirement right. accounts now. I can continue to try to build even more uh, for savings. I just think it's a good thing overall. Why? Because that's going to put less people on, you know, the government's uh, you Medicare know, handout and that sort of right? thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. It's astonishing. I don't think most people know this. According to something I was reading in the Wall Street Journal. About 50% of American households are not saving enough to sustain their living right. after retirement. So. Yeah, unfortunately, that that's a high statistic. And uh, I would hope that I, I am always encouraging people, please take advantage. You know, you'd be surprised, Seth, Seth, how many people work for a company that offer a 401k, and that company is willing to participate and give money towards that 401k for your retirement as long as you make a contribution. But if you don't make a contribution, the company won't match that. There's nothing for them to match. And people don't take advantage of that. And I encourage you, if you're working for a company that offers a 401k plan and you're not participating in that, please uh, do some research into that and begin to take advantage of that opportunity. That's free money for you. Got it, John. Thank you, sir. You bet, Seth. Hey, uh, Merry Christmas to everyone out there this weekend coming up, right? Yep. Uh, securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Finman Sipic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. John, thank you. Thank I'm you, Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you are concerned with stock market volatility, as we've been discussing, why refi has an investment in a portfolio, the high fixed rate return not correlated to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly in, it's an investment where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, and there's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Your interest is compounded daily. There are no fees. You're paid monthly. It's a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, 10 and a quarter percent. A due diligence approved firm, you can check Why Refi out by going to investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R E F Y.com, or call 888 Y Refi 34. That's 888 Y Refi 34. This ought to make you happy uh, related to everything we've been talking about this hour. Headline over at Fox uh, News, uh, when I say make you happy, I say that uh, sarcastically. Headline, omnibus bill earmarks $750,000 for trans group that wants to inject LBTQ, LGBTQ discourse in elementary schools. The massive $1.7 trillion omnibus bill that was made public by federal lawmakers Tuesday includes a $750,000 earmark for a Los Angeles-based transgender Latina group that wants to dismantle the U.S. criminal justice system and immigration and customs enforcement and inject transgender history and discourse into elementary schools, among other progressive initiatives. Maybe there should be a blanket rule. No federal money goes to any organization that wants to dismantle a piece of the government, their own government. The government that keeps them free and operating and writes the laws that allow them to exist in the first place. The release of the bill, which spans 4,155 pages, came after negotiations between Senate Republicans and House and Senate Democrats. The sprawling package 
which contains $858 billion in defense spending and $772 billion in non-defense discretionary spending, has to pass by the end of the week to avoid a partial government shutdown. The bill under disclosure of earmarks and directed spending terms directs this $750,000 to the Trans-Latin at, that's interesting, Trans-Latin, and then it has that at sign, it's pronounced Trans-Latina Coalition, which has local chapters in nearly a dozen states for, quote, workforce development programs and supportive services. According to the Trans-Latina Coalition's trans policy agenda posted on its website, the group wants to end all construction of detention centers, shut down existing jails and prisons, and decriminalize what it describes as survival crimes like loitering, sleeping outside, panhandling, and sex work. So we're now just going to endow our self-destruction while the Democrats tell us they're not anti-police and they're not anti-law enforcement as they are funding organizations that, to repeat, want to end all construction of detention centers, shut down existing jails and prisons, and decriminalize what it describes as loitering, sleeping outside, panhandling, and sex work. Sex work, that's an euphemism and a neologism of our time. Um, We used to call it prostitution. Uh, Some of us still, I guess, should call it prostitution. What do these people think comes next if they get their way? What do they think comes next? Ending construction of detention centers as we have more crime, shutting down existing jails and prisons, and making it no longer a crime to loiter, sleep outside, panhandle, and engage in prostitution. We can talk about sumptuary laws if you want, but do we think that, and this organization is based in um, Los Angeles, do we think that, but has, as as I guess I read in the story, uh, or uh, centers affiliates in 12 other states, do we think like, do we think that Los Angeles needs more loitering and sleeping outside and panhandling? Do we think it needs less of the criminal population in jails and prisons? And again, what then happens? What is the point of doing this other than mere destruction and self-destruction of society? Is there anything more emblematic and representative of Karl Marx's favorite quote from Goethe? that our purpose is to destroy everything that exists and everything that's in its wake. It's destruction for the sake of destruction. Of course, it also wants to dismantle immigrations and customs enforcement and completely open our borders. Migration, they say, is not a crime. Our policies must reflect this truth. Well, migration isn't a crime. But illegal immigration is. And anyway, I, I it's dumbfounding to me that anyone who could vote for such a subsidy can be in elected office in this country. Dumbfounding to me. But we do a lot of this kind of thing. We do a lot of it. And that's even in this omnibus bill. We're doing a lot more of it. Where... You wonder why people keep voting 
for Democrats, it's because they pay off organizations that engage in this lefty nonsense. Heritage Foundation says that we're that's, you know, aside from that $750,000 dispensation, we're putting in $1.2 million for LGBTQIA pride centers around the country. $1.2 million for services uh, for services for DACA recipients at San Diego Community College. 477000 for the Equity Institute in Rhode Island to indoctrinate teachers with anti-racism virtual labs. $1 million for an organization in Ohio, which is a, quote, co-working and community space for gender expansive people of color. $3 million for the American LGBTQ Plus Museum in New York City. $3.6 million for a Michelle Obama trail in Georgia. That's that's actually the least of the least of things that offends me. I mean, I don't think we should be doing it, but of all the things <laughs> a hiking trail named after a first lady is the least of things which offend me. If this were 5 years ago, it would have offended me more, but now I have to be offended about co-worker and community spaces of gender expansive people of color. And teachers being in, uh, getting money for anti-racism virtual labs and an LGBT and gender non-conforming Alban Institute in Albany, New York. On that museum in New York City, the three million go into the American LGBTQ plus museum in New York City. Maybe if there's not enough money for that in the first place that requires hardworking people and the rest of the country to have their tax dollars go to endow it maybe it's not something that should be there in the first place maybe it's not something that's of any interest to anyone other than a very few special coalition people that can milk the democrats and the democrats in turn bribe these communities for their votes not good I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Something to keep an eye out for. Welcome back. Something to keep an eye out for. Um, many of you like the work of uh, Mr. Solomon at Just the News. I, I do, too. Uh, John Solomon. He um, He's writing today, House Republicans have gathered a trove of text and email messages revealing that outgoing House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office was directly involved in the creation and editing of the Capitol security plan that failed during the January 6, 2021 riots, and that security officials later declared they had been denied again and again, that's in quotes, denied again and again the resources needed to protect one of the nation's most important homes of our republic. The internal communications were made public Wednesday, that would be this morning, in a report compiled by Republicans, Representatives uh, Rodney Davis, Jim Banks, Troy Niels, Jim Jordan, and Kelly Armstrong that encompassed the results of months of investigation they did of evidence had been ignored by the Democratic-led January 6th committee. The lawmakers were authorized by House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy to do their own probe. We'll see, I guess, if it gets into the rest of the news. Uh, Just the News is one of these alternative sites that does some great reporting and the kind of reporting that once upon a time places like CBS might have. This was the problem all along. Well, not the problem, one of many problems 
all along with the January 6th committee, was only going to investigate a certain predetermined set of outcomes and causes of those outcomes. It was never going to look into what the Democratic leadership may have and where they may have failed or fell down. It never was go- never was it ever going to to do that any more than it was going to reveal the text messages in their report of Donald Trump telling protesters to support the Capitol Police and go home. That stuff is only going to be revealed, well, in the new Elon Musk Twitter and in places like talk radio or websites like Just the News. Um, let me quote from this report that the Republicans have put out. Leadership and law enforcement failures within the U.S. Capitol left the complex vulnerable on January 6th. The investigation in the House of Representatives, however, the January 6th committee, however, has disregarded those institutional failings that exposed the Capitol to violence that day. Prior to that day, the U.S. Capitol Police, USCP, had obtained sufficient information from an array of channels to anticipate and prepare for the violence that occurred. The whole report is available at Just the News. We'll see if it makes any other news. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 